So be careful, little feet, where you go. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you either saw, maybe it was your own child or someone else's child, the picture that I have in my head is maybe a three-year-old, and you're at the park, and all of a sudden that three-year-old goes, the best thing that I could do right now is to run out into the street, because that looks like it'd be fun. Look at all those cars, maybe they want to play Frogger, the kid just goes, and they're just running. And everything inside of you is chasing after this kid, like, don't go. What are you doing? This, you just want to rescue them and you want to snatch them up and hold them. Because if they were to get into the street, something terrible could happen. And I want that image, I want that be careful where our feet are going. I want you to picture that when you're hearing John speak through this message today. Because as I've read through this a few times, I'm noticing that his heart was so, for the people that he was writing to, much like a father who wants to protect his kids. So throughout this message, there are many times of conviction where you go, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. The heart behind this is a father who's saying, watch out. I love you. I want you to be safe. So we've got to remember that as we're working our way through this. There's three main traps that we find in life as we're working through 1 John 2.15-29. through 29. I'm going to read portions of it as we go through. But the first thing is there's three main traps that John brings up. So I'll read the Scripture. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus talked earlier in Scripture, He talked about how we can't serve two masters. We'll either love the one or hate the other. And that's what John is wanting to bring up here. How can we love the world and all the things that are in the world and also love God? You can't do both. You're going to love one and they're going to hate the other. And the idea there at the end where it says the world is passing away along with its desires, kind of see this as like if you were buying stock in a company that you knew was going to fail. That would not be a wise investment. If someone told you in two years this company is going to be completely gone, the stock's really cheap, it's easy to get on, in on, you still wouldn't buy it, right? And that's what John's trying to bring up in this is Are you really going to put your stock? Are you really going to invest in this world that's passing away? Because we know it's going to be gone. We can see it, and yet there's still at times this draw. I have a draw to the things of the world. So let's look at these. The desires of the flesh. He kind of gives us three different things. The first here is the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh is, some of it's obvious, sometimes it could be maybe a sexual sin. It may be gossip. It may be physical violence or drug use, alcohol. Sometimes they're more subtle though. The desires of the flesh for me could be that sometimes I just want to relax. Those of you that know our family, you may understand why. A big part of my world is, man, I would love to take a break. I'd love just to get a nap in, just to be able to take a break, take my foot off the gas a little bit. It's one of the desires that I have in the flesh. 
Another one that I had to walk through this week, another desire of the flesh for me, is not walking in unity. Sometimes in life it's easy to have a disagreement with someone, and instead of working through and pursuing unity like Christ calls us to, we may want to say, oh, I'm going to let that sit for a little bit. I don't want to attack that because if, if I really went and tried to be unity, it'd be hard. So I actually had to sit down with two of my close friends this week. We had a disagreement on something, and I was, I was pretty offended. And I let it sit, and I thought, I'm going to have to go after this. It's interesting. This is what I was teaching on. But the desire of my flesh was, it's way easier just to move on and not deal with this. And maybe some bitterness may grow, but I stopped and said, no, I want to reconcile. So I sat down with them. We had a meeting for about two hours, and I talked through my grievance. And they were able to get my opinion, and they, I was able to see theirs. We were able to come back together. We don't actually fully agree on this. And that's okay, because I can walk away unified knowing that I know that we're on the same team, even though we disagree. Um, other places that you may see the desires of the flesh is, and some of it goes back to this relax. I looked up numbers for how many movies that people have seen just this year. And if you take the top five movies this year, who has a guess as far as how many billions of dollars the top five movies have made? $7.7 billion just in the 2019 movies. There's 20 countries in the world that don't produce that much money. But what is it? It's this desire to escape and to get away. And what I'm not saying is we can't take a break. We can't relax. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, are we paying attention to what our motivations are? What are our drivers? Are our drivers the things that are about me? Or are our drivers the things that we want to put all of our time and attention to? Those things that God has called us to. We've got to be careful where our feet take us. Now this could be different for different seasons of life. I realize I'm in a unique situation to everyone in the church. I don't think anyone else has 12 kids. So the relaxing side may not be for some of you. Some of you may not need that. But what is it in your life that's really fueling you towards the world instead of towards God? Because I think for each of us, it's going to look a little bit differently. But I do think that that temptation is going to be there. The next one, the, de the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes can be tracked back to the 10th commandment. Desires of the eyes really comes back to coveting. And it's when you look out and you see those around you, are you encouraged and blessed? Maybe someone who has a little bit nicer of a house than you do or a nicer car. Are you able to bless them and say, I'm so glad that God has given you that? Or is there part of you that goes, why don't I get that? I deserve that. Like, I deserve a little bit nicer of a car, and maybe I'll work my way up. My very first car was a Geo Metro. Let's let that sit in for a minute. The best part about owning a Geo Metro, though, is when you take it to, like, Grease Monkey or... Maybe you take it to Urban Auto Care or Lucky Tire and Auto. And you take it to one of those places and you get out and they look at you and they just kind of chuckle and they're like, you're driving a Geo Metro? And then I get to chuckle when I look back and see them move the seat up. And they didn't realize the Geo Metro seat goes almost all the way into the back seat. So I got to chuckle back and say, yeah, you're moving the seat up. So there may be part of us that goes, maybe I want something a little bit nicer. Is it wrong to have nice things? No. 
What's the motivation behind it, though? Is it bringing you closer to God or using those things to honor God? Or are you just chasing after what the world has? We call it keeping up with the Joneses. I think it's a safe last name. Sometimes it'd be awkward if there was like a prominent family called the Joneses and everyone's... Never mind. I see this a lot in vacation. For me personally, I have the desire of the eyes when I see other people on vacation. My good friends, the Burns, and their parents, Troutwines, had a great vacation. And there's part of me that looks at it and goes, I want to be where they were. And it's easy for me to get caught up in that. Instead of being excited and celebrating, it's easy for me to go and to forget the nice vacations that we've taken, right? Because I've had those. But here's one of the awesome parts. It's actually really terrible. Whenever I go on vacation, usually, it depends on where I am, but usually day three to four, I get what I call vacation disappointment. Anyone else relate to this? So several years ago, four or five years ago, we're doing the big Disney trip, right? Like we're being the good parents who are like, we're going to take our kids to Disneyland and they're going to love us forever and always do what we ask them to do because we're taking them to Disney and this is the greatest place on earth. I remember... It was probably in Tomorrowland. We're walking around, and I remember thinking, so many people have put much of their savings for the year, or like this is could be their only trip that they take. And they've invested it into this place called Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. And the reality is, is everyone was stressed because there was long lines, and it was hot. And it was like, man, we are chasing this dream of a vacation Instead of being just comfortable with some of the pain and the heartaches of life, like we put it in there. I think that's why people go to movies. Um, It's because you want to get away. But I always am cursed with that. Some point during the vacation, I look around and go, I wanted this to be the rest that I needed. I wanted that vacation to be God, if I'm being real honest. I wanted it to be enough where I get to relax and everybody's happy. And no one's always happy on vacation. There's always stress. You just bring the stress with you, unless you don't bring your kids. Then it's way easier. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I know a few of you are in here. But we've got this vacation disappointment. There's these desires of the eyes. And for some of you, like I said, it may be that new house. Um, I often see it on some of my work trips. We'll go to dinners, and I see people at some of the restaurants that we're at who are just getting as drunk as can be. And I used to, in my self-righteous judgment of it, used to be like, ah, you shouldn't be doing that. And I still don't think they should be doing it, but my heart has changed. My heart has broken. Because what I see instead is someone who just is wanting a break. Who's just trying to escape the realities of it. And my heart of compassion grows and thinks, man, if only you knew that you didn't need a drink but you need Jesus. You need to be closer to Jesus. If you could draw close and feel His love, that would hold you over more than any other thing that you're trying, any other vice that's there. So what is it for you? What are those desires of your eyes where you're coveting, you're looking out going, ah, I wish I could have that instead. And the third one that John brings up is the pride of life. The pride of life is wanting credit for things. Look at me. See what I did. Pride in the things that you own. I'm important. I'm valuable. To me, I could have that right now. 
whenever I get up and preach, there's this side of me that goes, please like me. Please tell me that I'm acceptable. And I have to fight through that. To fight through that at work. Because I want to be the best boss that's ever been around. But is it about me? Or is it because I want to glorify God in all that we're doing? And that's where the danger of this pride of life comes in. When you're younger, oftentimes it's a prove yourself mentality. Like, I want to do all these things so I can prove that I fit in, that I'm valuable, that I'm worth it. I'm a positive member of society. As you get older, what I've found as I've talked to people is often it switches into a legacy mode. Did I do enough? Was I enough when I needed to be? Was I a good enough parent? How is my legacy? What are people going to remember me by? There's a great song that plays on the, on the radio that talks through that legacy idea and how it's that I don't want it to be my legacy. I want it to only be about Jesus. And it's a conscious decision where I have to stop and say, no, it's not about me. Not about the things that I know that I've brought to the world, but it's about have I pointed people towards Jesus? Because that's the most important part. found a good quote as I was studying. It said, worldliness or desiring the world, which is what we're talking about. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and whatever makes righteousness look strange. That was so helpful for me to know that, man, if I'm really wanting this thing, but it's sin, then that's that worldliness that's there. And if I really want righteousness and people think I'm strange because of it, then I'm probably on the right track. Because there's a lot of decisions that I've made that make us stand apart from what society would say is normal. What does Dave Ramsey say is normal is broke? I don't want to be normal if that's what it means. If it means that I'm just conforming and I'm living the way that the world wants me to live, I don't want to be normal. I want my, my life to be one that was, was positioned to be able to point to Jesus and say, more of Him. See, Jesus was tempted in these three ways. If we can put those back up. Jesus was tempted when Satan came. The first way that he was tempted was he was hungry. It was after he'd been fasting. The enemy said, hey, take this big rock into bread. So it was this desire of the flesh. He had a physical need that he needed. What did Jesus say? He said, man doesn't live but on bread, but by the very word of God. Next up, I think they were switched a little bit, which is, don't get caught up on that. Because um, they don't match perfectly, but I'm okay with that. One of the other ways that Jesus was tempted is he was brought up and he said, all of these kingdoms will be given to you if you just bow before me, bow before Satan. And Jesus didn't take the bait. Because it'd be really tempting to think, man, I could rule all of this. Kind of a flawed stance since he had ruled all of it before. But for me, that would be pretty tempting some of that. And then obviously the pride of life was brought to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, throw yourself down from here and the angels will protect you because you know the angels would have. If Jesus threw him down and said, angels protect me, he would have been protected. He had that power at his disposal. He had that. He could have seen, look what I could show all of these people. I often wonder why Jesus didn't do more of that. And I think it's because he wanted genuine people to watch what he was doing and follow him rather than the miracles. Because while he did do so many miracles, what else could he have done? 
taken a mountain and thrown it into the sea? What could He do in your life? Are some of you waiting today for that miracle? And you say, Jesus, I am waiting. And until you show me this, I'm not going to move forward. My question is, what if you took a step of faith before He did it? Before He did that miracle. That's what He's calling us to, is this relationship that we can have with Him. Psalm 73.25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing upon the earth that I desire besides you. Hopefully you're feeling the tension. An appropriate tension of, God, I want to follow you with everything that I have. And there's a lot of things that want to distract me and pull me away from that. When the psalmist says that, there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. That's been a gut check for me as I've been preparing this. Because there's a lot of things that I like to do in this world that I enjoy. And I've had to stop and say, okay, what's my motivation behind that? Am I really just desiring you, God, in the middle of this? So let it sit. Let it sit heavy as we're working through this. But remember, remember that John's heart in this, and I would say John was writing on behalf and inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote this, so it's God's desire, is that you will feel His love and care in this. The condemnation that may be there, work on handing that to Jesus and say, all right, God, help me through. Help me work through this. Because it's a loving Father who's reaching out and saying, I love you. Don't get caught up in the mess of this world. Because what I have for you is so much better. And you may not feel better right at that moment. There's other things where in the moment we can feel better. I get that. But he's saying, wait. Wait for me. Be with me. The next thing as we keep reading is that there are many who are going to want to deceive you. Here he goes. He starts us with children. This is verses 18 through 27, 1 John 2. Children. Again, remember that. Children. It's not condescending. He's not saying, you don't get this, so I'm going to drill it into you. It's, my child, listen to what I have to say. It's the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is a little bit of a confusing text as I studied it more. Most likely John was part of a series of churches. We don't know who this was written to. Um, but most likely in this group of churches, it was people who were in the church with them and then made kind of a church split. So that's what he's talking about, about those who went out among and were separating from us. There was some type of a division, and we kind of see what we think it is as we keep going, but that's what he's talking about here as these people who went out. This next part, I'm going to highlight it. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. That is a crazy statement. How many of you, you can raise your hands, or you don't have to because I'm not trying to shame, 
actually believe that you have all of the knowledge that you need to get through life. There's times that I do. I'm prideful enough to think it. I, like, there's certain areas of life I think, yeah, I can get through this. But man, do I not live with that dependency on God. Here's the reality, church. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be studying God's Word. We need to be meeting other people. This is so important because the reason that John could say this is because he knew these people. And he knew that they were in the Word. And that they had all of the knowledge that they needed. So my question is, are you? Do you feel confident that today? Again, it's not with a condescending spirit. It's with a Father that says, but you have what you need to fight all of these things that come up. Let's continue on. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Who who denies the Father and the Son. Careful of every religion that wants to separate Jesus and the Father. There's several of them out there who would say that they're the same and they are not. Because they want to bring Jesus and say He's not God. And that's what they were worried about here. Is there's, this is part of that teaching that they think is why people were going out. They were separating it out and saying there was a God the Father and then Jesus. Whether they called Him God or not. But that is the spirit of the Antichrist who doesn't say that Jesus is Lord. They want to separate Him out as maybe a good person or a theologian. No, we believe Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because no one who denies that the Son, sorry, no one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You hear this word abide several times. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Sorry. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in Him. Are you abiding in Christ today? Are you abiding in His Word? Are you abiding in His fellowship? How many of you realize that most of the time God speaks to us through other people? you come aware of that? The more that I've walked in my Christian life, I realize as I'm discussing things, as I'm reading Scripture, talking through it with my friends, that's often where God chooses to speak. Because we'll start having a dialogue about something and someone will say, this is what I feel like God is saying in this moment. And God uses all of us, amazingly, to speak into each other's lives. Some of you need to know that you have been deceived. There's a chance of that. We need to be very aware of that, church. That you may have been going through life, and you may think that you know Jesus. There's Scripture that says there will be many at the end who come to Him and say, but Jesus, look at all these things that we did in Your name. And he'll say, be apart from me. I never knew you. So again, this isn't a warning of someone who's coming down to crack the whip. It's a loving father saying, please know me. 
Because the worst thing that could happen is some of us leave today thinking that you have a good relationship with God, but that God would turn around and say, I don't know you. Let that not be the case today, church. Let the reality sink in that all of us need to test that and say, God, where are we? Am I abiding in you? Am I confessing with everything inside of me that you are Lord and putting you first in my life? Or am I just have you on the side and maybe I'm living more worldly life? How do we know some of these things? Well, first of all, we need to realize that Jesus is the way. Jesus is who saves us. It's nothing that we did. It's not about you, thankfully. (laughs) But it's about Him. You see, because He came and died for our sins. And we were singing a song earlier, and it really struck me. Um, The song's talking about how while Jesus' body was in the grave, at a certain moment in time, He took a breath. And I want us to know that that was the most amazing point in all of history. And I'm not underselling this. Because at that point is when the devil went, he probably used a bad word. And I'm not going to use it. Imagine that. Jesus' body dead for three days. Gone. And the enemy is excited and dancing and cheering because we have defeated him. We got him. And then all of a sudden, life back into that body. He did the impossible. And Satan fleed. He knew he was done. At that point, he knew he was done because he thought he had won, but he had not won. Because there was life and there was breath again. How else do we know? Jesus says, you'll know my, you're my disciples by your love for one another. Do you love other people? Well, that's a good fruit. James says, faith without works is dead. Now, faith does not, or the works don't give us salvation. But you can't just say, oh, Jesus, I love you. And then live your life however you want to. But that's not how this game works. We met um, some new people last night. They were talking about vineyards. And I had no idea. I've never, I've actually never been to a vineyard. But their family planted vineyards. Did you know it takes two years after you plant a vineyard before there's any fruit at all? And it takes four years before you have any wine. That's a long time. So some of you are thinking, man, do I have enough fruit? Well, watch for fruit in your life. Are you doing the things that the Bible says? Are you following the commandments of Jesus? It's a really good way to know whether or not you get to go be with Him in heaven forever. But let's not be deceived. I don't want any of us to have that opportunity to walk away and go, I didn't at least think about it. I want you to think about the idea of, maybe I am. Not in fear, but just in that amazing relationship where Jesus and God the Father is reaching out to you as you're running into the street and saying, no, don't go there. I've got so much more. Be with me. As I was studying, I realized how independent I've talked briefly about it before, but how independent I am at times from God. How I don't wake up most days with an urgent dependency of, God, I need you more than ever today. Scott was praying for me before 
And it's just true. He, the, the scripture that he prayed over me was that apart from, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. I want to wake up every morning with that dependency where it's like, God, I can't do anything today. I can't pick out my clothes. I can't decide anything because if I'm picking that with the little stuff with God, man, when the big ones come along, when that person who needs me to pray for them for the day comes into my life, then I'm ready for it. I'm able to move into that because I'm desperate for God. Don't trust what you've learned 20 or 30 years ago. I went to Bible school 20 years ago. It'd be really easy for me to say, hey, I learned that. I studied this. I know what they're talking about. That's pride and arrogance in my life showing up when I, when I actually make that be my decision. I need to be investing myself into God every day. Because when I'm investing myself into God every day, that's when I'm abiding Him. And that's John's heart. That's the last point for today. It says, I must abide in Christ if I want to avoid the traps. You heard him talking about it in the previous verses, and he says it again here. This is verses 28 and 29. It says, And now, little children, my child who I love, get this, understand this, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame in his coming. If you know that he is righteousness, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We can have confidence today. I want to read you a passage out of John 8. So it's also another book that John wrote because I just think it's so powerful. John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yes, that was Scripture. That's not like a movie quote. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus has set us free. So we're free indeed. That's the only truth that I can stand on this morning as I've prepared this. Jesus has set me free, so I'm free indeed. I don't have to run to those worldly pleasures. Why? Because Jesus has set me free. And another strong verse, Galatians 5, 6. So I say, walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Church, Jesus is enough for our failures. If you're feeling condemnation this morning, some of you may be feeling, maybe I don't trust in Jesus. Well, today is the day. Today is your opportunity to put your whole trust in Jesus. Say, Jesus, become the Lord of my life. You be the one who leads every decision that I make. I want to abide in you. I want to be with you and walk with you every day of my life. You have that opportunity today. And for those of you that know that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we get to do an amazing thing together this morning. We're going to take communion together.
Communion is a physical representation that says I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Because like Scott likes to say, if a guy says that he's, he's going to die and raise again on the third day, and he goes ahead and does that, I want to be with him. I want to find out more about his story. I want to find out more about the way that he loved people. So we do, we get an opportunity to take communion. I don't want us to take it lightly. In the scripture it says to examine yourself. To look deep. To ask God to show you stuff. So as we come up and we get the bread, and we get the juice, you return back to your seat. We're going to play a full song. You can sing along. And you can also just reflect, Father, what are the areas that I need to turn over to you? Maybe today's the day that you're giving your life to Christ. You get to experience this in a brand new way that says, God, I'm going to trust you today. So as we go into the song, everybody come forward, grab some of the bread and the juice. There is some gluten-free bread for those of you that prefer gluten-free or need gluten-free. Come on forward and then we'll take communion together at the end of the song. This is the body, this is the blood, broken and poured out for all of us, and in this communion, we share in His love. This is the body, this is the blood. And I will remember everything, Lord, that you've done for me. I won't take for granted the sacrifice that set me free. I hunger and thirst for your love. Come fill me today. This is the body. Yes. 
presence, dear Lord, be with us again. This is the body. This is the blood. Broken and poured out for all of us. In this communion, we share in His love. This is the body. Oh, this is the body, this is the blood, broken and poured out for all of us. In this communion, we share it. This is the blood We hunger and thirst for your love And your righteousness We long for your presence here, Lord Be with us again This is the body. This is the blood. Father, please bring to our hearts anything, anything that would grieve you. this opportunity to physically proclaim what is true. And what is true is that your body broken for us and your blood shed for us was enough. We don't need to add anything to it. To rest in this reality. In Scripture it says, For the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take and eat.
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Father, we proclaim that you were enough. Jesus, we stand in awe that you would come down out of heaven, giving up all of the glory that you had to save us, to redeem us, to restore us to you. The broken image that's inside of us is restored back to you because of your power, because of your might, and because of your love. So I rest assured today that I am a child of God. That these are my brothers and sisters who want to deeply follow you. To seek out what is truth so that the truth can set us free. To know your love and your care as a father who only wants to protect us and to save us. May we abide in you more and more as we go throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There will be a team of people up front. If you need prayer, I encourage you to come up. It takes an act of dependence to realize I do need you, God. I need others to bear my burdens with me. So if that's you today, take the time that you need to come up and get prayer today and abide with God.